Hi, my name is Fritzi Horseman, founder of the Compassion Prison Project, and welcome to Compassion in Action. My guest today is Dr. Joe Dispenza. Dr. Joe holds a Bachelor of Science degree and is a doctor of chiropractic. His postgraduate training includes the fields of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, quantum electroencephalogram, QEEG measurements, epigenetics, mind-body medicine, and brain-heart coherence. As a researcher, lecturer, author, and corporate consultant, his interests lie in demystifying the mystical so that people have all the tools within their reach to make measurable changes in their lives. Dr. Joe Dispenza, welcome to Compassion in Action. Ah. Ah, Hi there. I was just, as I was sitting here waiting for you, I was just thinking how grateful I am for the work you're doing and that you're such a light worker, um, showing people their inner light. Oh, thank you. I, I just uh, really got into you in the last uh, few days here. I'm so impressed with how many lives you've changed and, and how critical it is to do what you do, especially in the current paradigm of prison systems. So I'm so, so honored to, to, to sit in your presence. So thank you. Wow. That's how I was feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have a mutual feeling. That's good. Uh, well, welcome to Compassion in Action, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's an honor to have you here. I want to start with a quote, if you don't mind, from sure. Becoming Supernatural. And um, well, just to give a little context, uh, people living in prison are faced with the same environment every day. And so this is the quote, it stuck out to me like exactly what what we need to um, address here. If your familiar environment is controlling how you think and feel, it's time to retreat from your life and go inward so you can reverse the process of being a victim of life and instead become a creator of it. And when I've been listening to your talks for months and months, way before I even thought that this was even a possibility to have you on my podcast, I thought, God, if we could just get Dr. Joe to in, to show the guys and the women the way of their own hmm. of their own possibility. Gosh, I mean, um, I think that on on a certain level, we all face the same challenges in our life. And what I've discovered after so many years of research that if you really want to break down the concept of change, to change is to be greater than the conditions in your environment and. Uh, so many times our, our environment is controlling, for the most part, how we feel and how we think. And our response to certain people, certain, uh, certain uh, conditions in our life causes us to feel good or feel bad. And so if someone says, Fritzy, why are you unhappy? And you say, I'm happy, unhappy because of these circumstances. What you're really saying is something in my outer world is actually controlling. I think it's controlling the way I feel and the way I think. The problem is that the response from the environment, typically if it's driven by the hormones of stress, weakens the organism. So the environment over time begins to break down our very health. And so the brain is a record of the past. It's an artifact of everything we've learned and experienced to this moment. So 
<clears throat> most people wake up in the morning and they think about their problems and their problems are memories that are etched in their brain that are connected to certain people and certain uh, problems at certain times and certain places. And the moment they start thinking of their problems, they're thinking in the past. The challenge is that every one of those problems has an emotion associated with it. And emotions really are a record of the past. So the moment you feel unhappy, the moment you feel suffering, the moment you feel fear, now your body's in the past. So it's the thought being the language of the brain and the feeling being the language of the body and how we think and how we feel creates our state of being. So many people reaffirm their state of being completely uh, by the past. And so it only takes a thought and a feeling, an image and emotion, a stimulus and response to start the conditioning process. So we start to condition the brain and body, hardwire the brain, condition the body emotionally into the past. The problem is the body's so objective that it doesn't know the difference between the real life experience that's creating the emotion and the emotion we're creating by memory alone. The body's believing it's living in the same past environment. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So then the person gets up and then they run through the same routine as they always do. And uh, in time, their body moves into a state of autopilot. Now their body is a set of programs, a habit that's dragging them into the same future based on what they did in the past. And so to change them also requires being greater than the emotions that have been conditioned into the body and the habituations that have been conditioned into the body in the predictable future. So we have to understand then that, that change requires not only being greater than the environment, but also being greater than our body, which is really for the most part been conditioned to be the mind. That's what a habit is. So then to change then, to be greater than the body, to be greater than the environment and to be greater than time. Instead of living in the familiar past, which is the known, and the predictable future, which is the known, you teach people how to settle into the present moment, and that's the unknown. And most people, that the unknown represents a very threatening place. And so when people start to do meditation, as an example, and their body starts looking for an arousal or wants to get up and do things, they think they can't meditate. But in fact, if they can settle their body back down into the present moment and lower the volume to that anger, to that frustration, to the fear, to the sadness, it's like training an animal. Now you're telling the body it's no longer the mind, that you're the mind. And our research shows there's a liberation of energy. The body starts expanding and relaxing into the present moment. Instead of getting up and checking your cell phone or doing something, and you notice that propensity. Instead of responding to it and say, I can't meditate, you settle your body back down into the, the present moment. Now you're executing a will that's greater than the program because most people lose their free will to a set of programs and it's the act of doing this to be greater than the conditions of our environment to be greater than our body as the mind and and to be greater than time that all of a sudden causes the person to start believing in themselves a little bit more and that's when um possibility starts to unfold so habits like i was addicted to coffee for 35 years that's an old program i just gave it up and what i'm learning is i'm I'm feeling more free because first of all, I'm, I'm not chained to the coffee every morning, but I'm also feeling better. But that was yeah. a radical move for me to make. Hmm. Well, I think the greatest habit we have to break is the habit of being ourselves. Uh, because, you know, we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day and 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. Well, 
if you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny, if you're thinking the same way, your life is going to stay the same way because the same thoughts lead to the same choices. The same choices lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors create the same experiences. But the same experiences produce the same feelings and the same emotions. And those same feelings and emotions drive our very same thoughts. Now, here's the problem. Our biology, our neurocircuitry, our neurochemistry, our hormones, and even our gene expression stays the same because we're the same. So the payoff from a habit is the feeling. <clears throat> you drink the coffee because it gives you an arousal. It gives you a rush of energy. It gives you something. And you say, wow, you don't say this consciously. Something in my outer environment changed my internal state. And the moment you notice a change in your internal state and you pay attention to what caused it, the next time you feel uncomfortable, the next time you feel tired, the next time you feel lazy, your brain creates the image of exactly what you want. And that's how we become conditioned to different things. So when we break a habit, <clears throat> as you know, the body craves the feeling, craves the, craves the chemical the stimulation. And so in order to overcome a habit, you have to conscious. Hardest part of any of change is not make the same choice as you did the day before. And that takes an incredible amount of energy and an incredible amount of awareness. An incredible amount of will. Uh, exactly. Which is, but that's the thing. Change is not <clears throat> going to, it's not just going to happen because we want it to. So you say that feelings are a magnetic charge. Thoughts are an electric charge. And it's the concert, the way they work together that creates the change that we're looking for. Is that right? Or Yeah, so, so everybody's done this. There's no mystery to this. Every single person has done something great in their life. And normally when they do something great, the first step, and we've studied thousands and thousands of people in the process of change and transformation, even when they've healed themselves from really serious health conditions, they will tell you the moment they've decided to make up their mind to change. They make a decision with such firm intention that the amplitude of that decision carries a level of energy that's greater than the hardwired programs in their brain and the emotional conditioning in their body. And their body is responding to their mind. In other words, the choice that they're making becomes a moment in time that they never forget. And so all they did was they married a clear intention a thought of a new possibility in the future. And then they married it with an elevated emotion, whether it was inspiration, whether it was passion, whether it was invincibility. When you combine those two things, you begin to condition the brain and body into a future instead of the past. So most people say, <clears throat> I'm going to change tomorrow. And they're on the couch with the remote control, watching TV. They have their cell phone, their computer, their iPad. And they say, I think I'll change tomorrow. And the body never gets a signal. So most people who have trauma, as an example, the stronger the emotion that we feel from some uh, experience in our life, the more altered we feel inside of us, the more the brain freezes a frame and takes a snapshot. And that's called a long-term memory. And then people think neurologically within the circuits of that experience, chemically within the boundaries of that emotion. And every time they recall the event, they're producing the same chemistry in their brain and body as if it was occurring. So can you then begin to do the exact same thing and have it work in an instrumental way? So the stronger the emotion that you feel when you make that decision, the more you remember the choice. And that's a long-term memory. And that's a big explosion in the quantum field. So 
if we could say it another way, you're giving your body a taste of the future emotionally. The body's believing it's in a new environment because it doesn't know the difference between the experience that creates the emotion, the emotion that you're creating by that choice. So when the person feels that exuberance, that passion to make up their mind to change, they'll say to you, I remember the exact moment I made up my mind to change. I was with, at this particular time, I was in my kitchen, it was this day, I can tell you everything about it because it's a long-term memory. So what if you did that every day? What if you could do that enough times that you literally, from a biological standpoint, begin to erase the emotion that's been stored in the body that produced the pain or the fear or the confusion, and now you're conditioning the body to an elevated emotion like gratitude or love. So we've studied this. When you feel passion, when you feel love, when you feel compassion, when you feel inspiration, when you feel gratitude, you feel appreciation, where you feel true care and kindness, the heart does something so beautiful, it starts to beat in a very rhythmic fashion, like beating a great drum. And that kind of consistent, coherent beat produces a magnetic field that's up to three meters wide. Now, the heart is emanating energy and frequency, and frequency carries information. Now, getting the brain to work in a coherent way, we've kind of demystified the process. So coherence is order. Coherence is a cadence, it's a rhythm. And when the brain is coherent, it can send a signal out, it's a directive. Um, it is the electrical charge in the quantum field. The feeling that the, the elevated emotion of gratitude or love is the magnetic charge. So that's what draws experiences back to us. And so if you do that enough time with brain coherence and heart coherence, you got a Wi-Fi signal and you begin to produce outcomes in your life. And when you start seeing synchronicities, serendipities, coincidences, opportunities showing up in your life, and you feel the feeling like, oh my God, the universe is responding to me. All of a sudden you stop believing unconsciously that you're the victim of your life. And you start believing that you're the creator of your life. And when you do that, then it inspires you to do it again because you don't want the magic to end. Now, the problem is, is that most people that 70% of the time, if they're living by the hormones of stress and living in stress is living in survival. When we're in that state where we feel threatened, we're in that state where we feel out of balance because stress is when your brain and body are knocked out of homeostasis. We try to control everything in our life. We try to predict everything in our life. We try to force outcomes. And the act of shifting our attention when we're aroused by the hormones of stress from one person to another person, to another meeting, to another problem, to another thing, to another place, every one of those elements has a neurological network in the brain. So the arousal of the stress hormone says, pay attention, there's danger in your outer environment and make sure you can predict everything. So as you shift your attention to all these elements, like a lightning storm in the brain, the brain starts to fire very incoherently. It starts to fire out of order. And when the brain's incoherent, we're incoherent. So we lost our Wi-Fi signal. We don't have a signal to send out. At the same time, if you're feeling the arousal of the stress hormones and you can't run, you can't fight, you can't hide, you're stepping on the gas and you're stepping on the brake at the same time. The heart is pounding and beating, but it's beating against the closed system. 
So the heart starts beating out of order and the interference of energy that's incoherent causes energy to drop in the brain and the heart. And when that occurs, you lose your other part of your Wi-Fi signal. In a sense, you feel separate. You feel like you gotta do it by yourself. You feel separate from your dreams, separate from people in your life because in survival and stress, it's not a time to open your heart. <laughs> it's not a time to be compassionate. It's not a time to give. It's not a time to even learn. It's a time to run, fight, and hide. So 70% of the time, people spend their life living in survival, and no organism in nature can live in that state for an extended period of time. So if you teach people then that the long-term effects of the hormones of stress push the genetic buttons that create disease, and you say, all that anger that you feel, all that hatred that you feel, all that frustration that you feel, is affecting nobody else but your, yourself and your own body. When people start to realize that that arousal gives them a rush of energy, and in time they, can, they need that rush of energy to feel something, and you teach them how to break the addiction from those, those, those hormones, just like you overcame coffee, it's the same thing. When you free your body from the chains of those emotions, when you look back at your past, you don't see it from the same place because it's the only the emotion that keeps you connected to the past overcome the emotion when you look back at your past you see the wisdom behind it. you see the lessons behind it you're seeing it from a greater level of consciousness so when we combine a clear intention with an elevated emotion we practice this way of creating brain and heart coherence in time now you start seeing things come to you and that's the cool part now you no longer have to go and get it somehow those opportunities start showing up in your life. And that's when, again, when you start believing that we're creating our lives instead of being victims to them. And you, but you're in prison, right? You're in survival mode every day. Sure. All the time. <clears throat> so, so let's talk about that because um, this is, a, you know, we work with Latin American prisons uh, and we do a lot of programs to help young people that have been incarcerated for all kinds of reasons. Uh, to begin to make changes, to see the place where they're at as a place to retreat from their lives and to begin to understand why they did certain things, what emotions that drove them to behave in certain ways impulsively and to think certain ways, and if they have the opportunity to return back into their lives. If they don't make those fundamental changes in their biology, the moment they return back to the same environment, it's going to trigger them emotionally to make the same choices unconsciously. So, so the structure of being in prison, of course, is a challenge in and of itself because it is, in a sense, survival of the fittest. You have to mark your territory and you have to mark who you are and it's gotta be loud and very clear. That's fine. But then you also have plenty of time to learn. You still have plenty of time to work on yourself um, I always say, forget the experience. The experience doesn't change. And when you recall the experience, when you think about it, when you talk about it, it never changes anything. Actually, it refires and rewires the circuits in your brain. Overcome the emotions that keep you connected to that experience. When you can recall an experience without the emotional charge, that's called wisdom. Now that's a different game in and of itself because now you can, you can understand that there's room now for possibility in your life. So teaching people 
the science of true change and getting communities within the prison system to support one another and practice heart coherence in the jungle goes against everything uh, that, that, that we've been taught in terms of survival. So forming new communities in the prison system, just like you do, teaching people really the science of change and transformation, and not, not just leave it there, but every day practicing that. Now, here's the funny thing about it. The side effect of all of this is being happy with yourself. The side effect of it is now you're no longer responding and reacting to the same circumstances and the same situations in the same way, because as you sit there and your body's so wanting to feel anger or fear and you become conscious of it and you work with your body and train it back into the present moment. If you keep doing that, the side effect of that is energy moves right into your heart. We've measured that too many times to tell you that it's not the truth. Now, what does that do? It creates possibilities that you never saw before because that change in energy causes you to see things no longer through the lens of the past, but seeing possibilities right in front of you. So people who are in the prison system in community that do this to build a new way of being. And, and what we've seen is more and more people that were once upset or frustrated start joining the larger community because there's a movement that takes place. And, and my interest is to not only give people the tools to return back into their lives as a different person, but to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. So the what and the why allows the how to become easier. So then even if they're in a prison for 30 years and they're happy, <laughs> it's better than being in prison and being unhappy. And if they've learned the lessons in their life and possibilities around, who knows uh, what could possibly happen to them. Exactly, exactly. I'm just taking it, rewinding it back just a little, because I remember the day that I felt separate from my mother and father. I remember the day that I, it was that thought I'm on my own. And, and I remember the day that I decided that I'm going to go for it. I don't care. I don't care what's in front of me. I don't care if I lose all my money, I'm going to put it all on red. And I remember those two days and you're absolutely right. And, but it's a choice. And once you make that choice, the whole world opens up like you've never imagined. And so how does someone in prison make that choice? I guess they don't. Like, like you said, they just have a lot of time. <laughs> well, listen, you, you have to start somewhere. I mean, uh, knowledge and information is the forerunner to experience. Nelson Mandela, for all those years, saying, I'm never going to get out of here. I'm never going to get out of here. I mean, that was his mantra. And then finally he said, what if I could get out of here? How, how could I get out of here? You started thinking, how could I get out of here? Started thinking in a creative way. I'll start writing letters. I'll start doing this. I'll start drawing attention to, the, to really what's going on in South Africa. And then he started saying, who's going to lead this nation? Who's going to, and then what if I could lead this nation? And then he started believing in that. I mean, um, and a belief is just a thought you keep thinking over and over again until you hardwired in your brain. And, and so, we're all faced with uh, great challenges, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And <clears throat> there's always a door. There is always a door 
And so your personality creates your personal reality. It's that simple. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening to this show has created the present personal reality called their life, which means if you're going to change something in your personal reality in your life, you got to change your personality. You have to change. Nothing changes until you change. That's the bottom line. So then <clears throat> the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. That's what that symbol means, to become familiar with. So the inmate is sitting there and he's starting his or her you know, journey on the process of meditation. And here comes the thoughts. I can't, I'll never change. I wanna kill this person. This person turned me in, I'm angry. And here comes the barrage of the thoughts, the habits and behaviors and the emotions. Now, most people, the moment that happens, they don't wanna look anymore. They get up, they start getting busy. They get on their cell phone. They do this working out, whatever they do to distract them from that feeling. But great courage, <laughs> the greatest courage is to look at that because when you can become so familiar Fritzy, with that thought, so conscious of that unconscious thought that has been slipping by your awareness unnoticed to the point where you can say, oh, you can recognize the thought and you don't accept it, you don't believe it, you don't surrender to it without analyzing, you're aware of it. Now, that's a victory. But because in your waking day, that thought, if you become so familiar with it, is going to be con you're going to become conscious of it. And a program is when you're unconscious. So as you keep remembering enough times, how many times do we have to remember before we stop forgetting? That's the process of change. And if it takes a thousand times of trial and error and you're persistent, sooner or later, you're gonna be like, I'm not gonna believe in that thought anymore. By the same means, if you complain and you blame and you make excuses and you feel sorry for yourself and you talk trash about other people, don't you know that in order to create a new personality, you have to become so conscious of those unconscious, even the way you speak and the way you act, that you wouldn't go unconscious to that state again. Now, here's the hardest part. When the body starts getting aroused and starts feeling anxiety and fear and starts feeling anger and hatred and frustration and wants to be violent and feels pain and suffering and guilt and shame, this is great courage. If you could settle the body back down into the present moment and teach you that it's no longer the mind, if you keep doing that, in time, you will sense the first sensation in your body that starts the emotional response. You'll get so familiar with that emotional response that you'll catch it before it happens. Now, that is retiring the old self. Nerve cells that no longer fire together no longer wire together and you start pruning apart circuitry in your brain that has to do with memories of the past by the same means if you're no longer behaving the same way you're no longer lighting those circuits up as well and if you can stop the thought that produces the feeling of that emotion and inhibit the process inhibition over time breaks conditioning so how long does it have to take well you practice doing it with your eyes closed so that when you open your eyes, you don't go back to the old personality. Now, here's the cool part. What if you sat there and you said, what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? What, what do I want to program my brain to think? If I could keep repeating this with intention, with presence, and 
I would begin to install the neural hardware in my brain, keep practicing it. The hardware becomes a software program, and that's a new voice in your head that says, Fritzy, anything is possible. Then if you said, okay, how am I going to be with all those people that are in my wing or all the people that I hang out with? What would greatness look like today? What did Nelson Mandela teach us? What did Martin Luther King teach us? What did Gandhi teach us? What did Wallace teach us? What did Joan of Arc teach us? What, what does greatness look like? What, did, what are great people in history? What did they do that overcame any circumstance in their life? Let me review that. Let me study that because that would be the raw materials for me to build a new mind. And if you closed your eyes and you rehearsed in your mind what you were going to do that day, you would reach a point where you were so present that the brain would not know the difference between the real life experience that's creating that circuitry and what you were imagining by thought alone. Your brain would look like you already did it. Keep practicing it. The hardware becomes a software program and you install the circuitry so that you can behave equal to your intention. So then the last part is, can I teach my body emotionally? what this future life would look like before it happened. That means you can't wait for the change to feel joy. You can't wait for the healing to feel gratitude. You got to teach your body the feeling before it happens. If you keep cultivating that feeling, it'll begin to become familiar to you. If you keep reviewing your behaviors and practicing and rehearsing, it'll begin to become familiar to you. Keep firing and wiring those thoughts, become new thoughts that are familiar to you. So, the biological change is unlearning and relearning. It's breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. It's pruning synaptic connections and sprouting new connections. It's unfiring and unwiring, refiring and rewiring, deprogramming and reprogramming, or losing your mind and creating a new one, or unmemorizing emotions that have been stored in the body, then reconditioning the body to a new mind and to a new emotion. And it turns out, whether you're a prisoner, whether you're a CEO of a company, whether you're a single mother with three children, whether you repair washing machines for a living, whether you're a psychotherapist, whether you're a nurse, it doesn't matter. The same model works for everybody. And that new personality then is thinking differently, is acting differently and feeling differently. We have no idea what kind of possibilities that could show up as a result of personal transformation and change. And so many times, the first change that happens is aside from a change in well-being, there's a huge change in body's health. We've seen cancers and diabetes and lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and rare genetic disorders, uh, anxiety, depression, that never changed with any model of uh, healthcare, all of a sudden disappear. And you say to the person, where is that disease? And they'll say, oh, it's in the old person. I'm somebody else. It just doesn't belong there. And, and so I, I think that we have to lay down the very thing we used our whole life to get what we want for something greater to occur. And that takes practice and repetition. Um, but I think it's a healthy thing to start. You know, as you're talking, um, I remember one day you, you said, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you said, what is you know, what is the, what's the great thing you can do today? What does greatness look for you today? And I was hemming and hawing, should I go to this guy's trial? Cause it's in Burbank, I don't wanna drive. And I'm like, if I was great, I would go to Burbank. And I went, it didn't matter, He, I wasn't needed that day, but still 
I felt better because I took your advice. And then listening to you talk, I just like how many Nelson Mandela's are in prison right now sure. that they don't even know about. And, but what, what, if they hear this podcast, this might light them up to think, oh my God, I could be a Nelson Mandela. I could be a Martin Luther King. I could be a Gandhi. Sure. Sure. And, and, and I believe in that. I believe in that. It only takes one person to change the consciousness of the planet. We've seen it too many times and it, nobody chose those people. Nobody chose any of those people. They chose themselves. And God, I'm sure Martin Luther King felt a lot of fear every day, but it didn't stop him from showing up and being great. I think Gandhi, you know, was uncompromising in his will. And he, he was principled and other people caused them to see the same vision that he saw. And so, gosh, um, what a time in history now, because it's, it's so important for people to see that so many things that are collapsing in the world currently today is because a new paradigm has to evolve out of that. And every single person has to be the example of change, no matter what position they're in. And if we do this enough times, we give other people permission to do the same. I believe that in time, a prison could become a monastery if enough people begin to make those changes. And it's not like abstain from life or abstain from living, but something else is transformative is happening where, wow, you come, you, 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 you make your change in, in a great place and you get closer to love, you get closer uh, to gratitude, you get closer to freedom, you get closer, closer to joy, you get closer to bliss. And now it doesn't matter what environment you're in, you're, you're happy with yourself. And I think that's when you really get out of jail, when you really get out of prison. Exactly. And you talk about these um, coherent, mind coherent groups that are elevating areas. What if a prison became one of those vortexes? I, I love the idea. You know, I, I in one of the programs that we did for a, a host of Latin American prisons in, in Mexico City and in, in Panama and Argentina, you know, we invited the families uh, to join every one of those sessions. We did uh, a, a whole bunch of different classes every week or every other week, and, and we invited them to, to join, and, and they encourage the model, and all of a sudden, they join in and doing it. And, and I think that if you can really begin to do something good, not only for yourself, that's the beginning. But so many people, when they start feeling good, what do you think you do? You say, when energy moves into your heart, and I don't care who you are, what kind of past you've had, and we've had people with some pretty brutal past change their life. They feel so in love with life. They feel so free. They feel so joy so much joy that there's only thing one thing you want to do when you feel that way is you want to give <laughs> that's the only thing you want to do you want other people to feel the way you feel when you're feeling unhappy when you're feeling angry uh, i think you want other people to feel the way you feel and and i don't think that's a conscious process and so people who hate themselves hate others or people who are angry with themselves are angry with others people uh, you know, who, who, uh, you know, suffer, you know, for some reason, love to love to be around other people that suffer, suffer, get enough people in a state of joy and get enough people in a state of love and do it in the proper way, not positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something completely different. 
true, true execution and to be able to measure that and say, hey, I, I actually did it. We have devices that can teach people how to do that. Wow, God, and that becomes your journey. You're not going to be part of the tribe in the same way any longer. You're going you're gonna to be something different and other people are going to notice it. And when other people notice that you're not showing up in the memory that they have of you, because we don't see things how they are, we see things how we are. When you show up differently in the smallest way, people notice that you're out of phase. There's not a pattern recognition any longer. And you're not responding or reacting or you're not doing the same thing in the same way. I think other people notice that right away and they move closer to that because they're waiting for someone to lead. Well, what if everybody's leading? I think that's a, that's a powerful message. And, and, you know, when we do this in prison systems in Latin America, my whole thing is not only bring the family in, but let's, let's do something where we can begin to affect the world. You know, that's when it becomes really, really important. Absolutely. Um, so there's two things, gratitude, like, why is it so important? Because like, it seems to be one of the keys to your teachings. Well, if you think about this, and I've thought about it a lot, when you receive something favorable, or you've just received something favorable, if something wonderful just happened to you and surprised you, or something amazing is happening to you in the moment, you feel this feeling of gratitude. So the emotional signature of gratitude is something just happened to you that's wonderful, or something that's happening to you in the present moment is truly amazing. So gratitude is the ultimate state for the body and the mind to receive. So we only accept, believe, and surrender to information that are equal to, that's equal to our emotional state. We never accept, believe, and surrender information that's not equal to our emotional state. And you could say, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And your body's going, no, you're not. You're miserable. You're unhappy. You're suffering. Because the body and the mind are in opposition. Turns out 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 is a set of program um, habits where the body becomes the mind. So if we can move out of that state into a state of gratitude, then the body's believing, it doesn't know the difference, remember, between the real life experience that's creating the emotion of gratitude and the body in the state of gratitude by thought alone. So the body's believing it's living in a new environment. When it's living in a new environment and you begin to program it with certain thoughts, you can begin to influence the body to change. So the body begins to receive information in a state of gratitude. And, and that energy, when we feel gratitude, begins to do something so beautiful. We've seen this so many times. When you feel gratitude and your heart is feeling safe enough to create and move out of survival, it starts informing the brain. It starts sending like a, if you took a big sheet and you, and you, you know, give it a little quick rip, it would send a wave. Well, you see this kind of wave of energy move right into the brain and the brain moves into a very coherent creative state called alpha brain waves. Now, the heart is informing the brain. It's safe to create now. It's safe to have new ideas. It's safe to be present. And the heart starts producing more energy that begins to flood the brain to be more creative. So then the thoughts that the person thinks in a state of gratitude are more unlimited. 
They start believing in themselves and you can't believe in yourself without believing in possibility. And you can't believe in possibilities without believing in yourself. So gratitude is the state in which we begin to open the heart. It's a state in which we're able to receive. The body is believing it's in a new environment and it's the body's way more programmable and we can program the autonomic nervous system into a whole new expression of chemicals, hormones, gene expression and everything else and we've immune regulation we've measured all that and the body just gets stronger because it's out of stress and out of survival as i, I was just going to say it's out of fight or flight which is exactly basically where everybody in prison lives and so that's one of the concepts we're bringing to them and i knew i had to ask you because i'm going to take this exact clip and put it right <laughs> um so the mind movies, you talk about, you've kind of described the mind movies, but I want them to know this concept that we have to imagine the future. Go ahead, I'm gonna let you say it, I'm not gonna. Well, look, I mean, it's really simple. And I think that, you know, programming is called programming, whether it's TV or whatever, for a reason. Because when people stare into a screen, we'll just say a TV as an example, um, what they don't know is their brain waves are slowing down and they're suppressing their analytical facilities. And what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. So when you stare into a TV and you're not thinking and analyzing and you're in trance, you're very suggestible to information and you can begin to program your autonomic nervous system into all different kinds of states that most people don't even know. So you watch television commercials, they're playing with your psyche the whole entire time, thinking, you, causing you to think that you need something outside of you to change your internal state. So we decided, my goodness, if we can teach people how to move into trance with their eyes open, then create a movie that where they're the star <laughs> and make it, as, make it as unlimited as you want, whatever that is, that you can program your autonomic nervous system in the same way. And just like when you hear a song on the radio and you start thinking of a time in your life, a certain person, a certain place in a certain time, uh, that, that, that song is recalling an events, events from the past. Well, you could do the same exact thing with a mind movie. And when you combine it with a song and you're watching this movie of your future, if you keep watching it enough times, when you hear that song, it's gonna cause you to remember your future, just like remember your past. And, people begin to program their subconscious mind in very, very interesting ways. And they start having these incredible opportunities show up in their life because it's programmed that way. So we, we ask people to make movies of their future and within the realm of their understanding and acceptance to begin to watch that before they go to bed at night, before, you know, instead of watching some horror movie or some violent movie, let's program you into just feeling really good about you and believing in yourself and program yourself into a more unlimited state instead of a limited state. So we use the mind movie technology all the time and we teach the science of how to reprogram the subconscious and produces some pretty powerful changes in people's health and in their lives too. And also the walking meditation, also walking in the new body, right? Isn't that one of the things you do? Yeah. So, I mean, we do these week long retreats and, and, um, you know, for thousands of people. And there's four types of meditation. There's a seated meditation, which, you know, is most common. And then there's a standing and walking meditation and there's a lying down meditation. And we practice all of those, but <clears throat> the walking meditation is so valuable, Fritzi, because you could have the best meditation in the world, feeling all holy, all connected 
in a great, great place of gratitude and love. And then you get up, you open your eyes and there's somebody that's pushing your buttons and you forget everything. And you return back to your old self again. There's no possibility because that's the same. It's the same energy. It's the same personality. It's the same life. So then what if you have been practicing how to open your heart and you got really good at it sitting down? What if you could stand up and practice that same exact thing, close your eyes and get, raise your energy and get in that state and then say, okay, I'm going to open my eyes now and I'm going to practice just like practicing, rehearsing uh, uh, lines in a, in a movie. I'm going to practice becoming this person. So how would I walk? How would I breathe? How would I move? Let me embody this energy. Let me get in the habit of how I'm going to be as this new person. And so practicing it with your eyes open creates the habit of you becoming somebody else. And I want people to walk as if it's already happened. I want them to walk in the power and the, in the, in the energy of, of who they are and do it enough times till they become it. <laughs> and when you become it, you stop trying to have to do it because when you are it, you won't go unconscious. So use the walking meditations as a tool, just like anybody that you're practicing anything to, to take your body out for a test drive, take the animal out and condition it into a new state and practice it with your eyes open. So that in time, when you go from your cell outside to the basketball court or to the weight room, or you go to the, go from the, um, the mess hall, you know, where you eat back to your cell, you're walking like a noble being. You're walking in the energy of power. You're walking in the energy of who you are. And, and you keep doing that, that becomes who you are in time. So we've seen people in walking meditations, I've seen this so many times, start the meditation with crutches. And by the end of the walk, they just, they, they're, 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 their crutches are in the garbage can and they're Chronic health condition is gone, not once, not twice, not three times, numerous times. So we had a guy that was in the event uh, just a couple months ago in Cancun, and he was a war veteran and um, had broken his back many times, had a terrible PTSD. Uh, he was in really bad shape. He took all kinds of drugs. He was suicidal. Nothing was working. Then they did surgeries on both his knees. And when he came out of the surgeries, his, the pain in his feet was so bad that he asked the doctors in time to cut his legs off, to cut his feet off because he couldn't tolerate the pain. And they said, we can't guarantee that because <laughs> you may still have phantom pain. You still, even though you don't feel, you may, the brain may still think there's pain there. And um, so he came to the event and um, gosh, just a really beautiful man and started, just didn't know much, just tell me what to do. I'll just do whatever you tell me, you know, sweet uh, uh, Green Beret. He was like a special ops guy. So he fell out of planes, he did everything and his body was pretty beat up. And uh, he had one moment uh, and when we lay down after a meditation where he felt this energy course through his nervous system. When he opened his eyes, he had no pain in his feet. Now that was just the start. So when he got to the walking meditation, he started the event in a wheelchair. When he got to the walking meditation, he had two crutches and walked on the beach with 1500 people with those crutches, bare, just making it. And then the next day, uh, I see him out there with one crutch and he's just leaning on that crutch and he's practicing going against everything he learned to be the hard guy. And he starts opening his heart and the wind starts whipping and his body started to believe 
that he was in a new environment because the emotion was so strong. The body thought that he was in the environment where he was healing. Now, in about 10 minutes, and, and I didn't know much about him, but I saw him with the crutches. I'm watching him run down the beach and I'm watching the volunteer running behind him, holding the crutch. And he smoked this guy and then turned around. I see him running down the beach the other way as fast as he can. And there's no volunteer anymore. He, the guy, the guy, he left the guy in the dust. To this day now, he, he has no pain. He runs now again. He's completely happy with himself, happy with his life. He's in a new body. He's in a new life. He's in a whole new future. And now all of a sudden we're getting all these veterans now because all, all the guys that were in his you know, branch and all the guys that he fought with and who struggle with their own health problems, mental health and physical health are showing up because he showed them what was possible. So we have no idea what we're doing today, whose lives we're going to affect tomorrow. We have no idea what possibility looks like when you change. That's the unknown. And that's the cool part about it. You change, but you, the thought of changing my personality seems so like, but I like who I am kind of, but I'm also cranky. I'm also annoyed. So like, who is that person underneath all of these ailments, I guess, all of these, but it's a weird thing to say, you change your personality. Well, look, I mean, I, there's many things that I love about my personality, just like you do. I'm going to take that with me, but there are things, if I'm going to be defined by a vision of the future, there are things that can't come because the moment you say, I want to have a mystical experience where I transcend this three-dimensional world and, and you want to have a, a really profound moment, a transcendental moment, you start showing up for that and it doesn't happen right away, then what? You start disbelieving, you start stop believing yourself though. So the moment we're defined by a vision of the future that's bigger than us, that vision of the future is not the vision of the past. And when we do that, we take away, we take with us our discipline, we take with our concentration, we take our presence, we take our passion, we take our strengths with us. All those things you take. But the things that are standing in the way are those old beliefs. The things that stand in a way that 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 stop you from connecting to it. Those are the things you come up against, and and it's not the it's not the mystical experience or the transcendental experience. It's who you become. It's not your wealth. It's not your health. It's who you become. It's not your freedom. It's who you become in the process, and it's the overcoming process that we overcome, that we overcome, that we overcome, that we overcome until we finally become. And so many great people in history, you know, even wealthy people. People always want to be wealthy, but if you study wealthy people that really did it. They failed miserably thousands of times until they figured it out. And so you keep showing up for yourself enough times, you're going to change. You're going to change. You're going to be thinking differently. You're going to be acting differently. You're going to be feeling differently. And that's when the universe starts to conspire in ways that we just never even thought about. That's, that's, that's the beauty behind creation. Um, yeah, you're, I guess you're a mystic, huh? You're mystic. It says in your bio, you're demystifying the mystical but you're leading us to what's possible in a mystical way. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I never thought, Fritzi, that I would be seeing things that I'm seeing in this current time right now. I mean, we have in, in the last two years, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people with stage four cancers that have spread to their bones, to their organs, complete reversal. We have people that um, had rare genetic disorders that science had no solution for, that are living normal lives, people that were physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused, 
who were suicidal, had all kinds of health conditions, bless their past and love, love, love their life and who they are right now. So, and then we have great scientific data to show like, oh my God, that person, the amount of energy that's taking place in their brain is so outside of normal that something transcendental is happening to that person. And you can't tell me you're too old to do it. You can't tell me you're too sick to do it. You can't tell me you've never meditated before. We've seen people that never even meditated. Their, their wives dragged them to a workshop and these guys hit gold. You know, you can't, you can't tell me you had a turbulent past because I've seen so many, it doesn't matter who you are, what you eat, what your race or skin color is, nobody's excluded from the phenomenon. It's a formula. So you learn the formula and when you do, you can run into something way bigger than you. And the arousal that happens in the nervous system, in the brain, in the body, according to our research, the arousal is not fear. The arousal is not pain. The arousal is not aggression or anger. The arousal is ecstasy. And that sympathetic nervous system switches on and that person runs into something that causes them to awaken. And they, they touch something very divine. And, and when that occurs, the brain moves into these elegant, coherent states where the person is having a moment that they will never forget for the rest of their lives. The side effect of that is when they open their eyes, they are going to see reality differently. <laughs> some, some conditioning, some veil, some illusion is going to be removed and they're going to look back at their entire past and they're going to say, I don't want to change one thing in my past because it brought me to this present moment. And that's the moment the past no longer exists. And gosh, we have seen that. We just, we just finished an event uh, just uh, last week with 1,500 people. We had all of our scientific team there and God, the measurements we're getting during this mystical moment, this transcendental moment, we can predict it now, we can induce it, and we can replicate it. And that gets really cool because the amount of energy in the brain is so outside of normal that when we show neuroscientists our data, they, they just say, this can't be possible. And I say, okay, we'll show you another one. Okay, we'll show you another one. Okay, we'll show you another one. Person after person having these moments is pretty cool. So for me, I think that um, the journey begins when, when we start asking bigger questions and we're not afraid to show up for ourselves and, and, and step into that, to that unknown experience. That's, that's the thing that defines us from that point forward. Um, we're about to close, but I, I, wanted, I want you to talk about the formula. Um, <clears throat> <yeah>. uh, <laughs> well, it's a really simple thing. I mean, we, we, we have all kinds of courses for people, but so many times people say, hey, how am I going to get my best friend into this? Hey, I got a boss that's really analytical. Hey, my, my husband's an engineer. Hey, this person is incarcerated. They're not gonna, it's too much science for them, too much content. Can you simplify what this is? And so we did this little course called The Formula, which really is talking about brain coherence, getting your brain synchronized and getting it orderly. And, and it's a formula. You practice it, your brain gets organized. We see it over and over again. If you practice this way of feeling and doing a certain process, you can get your heart coherent. So if you can get your brain coherent and your heart coherent, now you can create because that energy is carrying information. So we created this course with five meditations, you know, step-by-step -step meditations and, you know, 12 or 13 lessons. 
so that people can sit for 30 minutes, listen to the content, listen to it again, and then practice the first level meditation. And then after they practice that and they understand it and know how to do it, then there's more content. And then they build from that first meditation to the second meditation and you keep doing it. And so it's an easy way for people by the end of the, uh, by the end of the 12 or 13 lessons to get the last meditation, which is how to, how to begin to create and how to begin to change. So it's a little, it's a much easier than, you know, you know, 20 hours or whatever of content that we usually teach. And then you have all these, um, these events that people can go to. <clears throat> is there one coming up like in September or? Yeah, the problem that we have is that they sell out in five minutes and, and we have, you know, we have a big problem, but our, our next event is in Turkey actually in October. And then um, we're in London in November for a week long. And then we're in Cancun, Mexico in, in December. And, and I think if people really are interested in starting, you know, maybe start with the formula and then there's what's called the progressive workshop, which is really going deep into to the preparation for a week long. But the week long events really are where you can see magic. You'll, you'll witness miracles. It, it'll, it'll, it changes people's view on the way the world is. So what if we did one of these in prison? What if we had them go through the formula, do your whole course, and then would you come to a of prison? Of course I would come. Are you kidding me? Really? Of course I would come. That's my mission. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, uh, I, the, the idea of contributing to people's lives is why I do this. Uh, that's the number one reason. And, and gosh, we had so much fun with the, with the people in, in the Latin American countries that are starting this process. And uh, we have some great conversations, some great questions. And really, you know, the people come up against themselves. This is way bigger, way bigger than anything. You know, you, when you can light a match in a dark place, and you can stay there and you can look and you can begin to become so familiar with you that you don't ever want to return back. That's real freedom. That's, that's being at, that's getting out of the cage, getting out of the cell. Yeah. Sure. And amazing. I'm going to take you up on it. Um, I want to read one quote that, that was also from in on becoming, um, becoming supernatural. Once we transition from our state of being from survival into love, gratitude, and creation, then instead of reacting to violence, terrorism, fear, prejudice, competition, selfishness, and separation, we can come together during crisis. We will have no further need for splintering, assigning blame, or seeking revenge. And I just want to thank you for that. I think, um, I think your vision and your mission in the world is changing lives. And because you're changing lives, you're changing the world. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, we've seen such great, great changes in the body when we feel love. It really resets the baseline for trauma in the brain. It's what heals. And, and that's great courage to open our hearts when there's so much survival around us. But it only takes one person to do it to change the world or change a culture or change a community. And I think it's not one person. It's all of us. That's what makes it so beautiful. Okay, one more question. I'm sorry. Homework for the people in prison. Is there like a 30 day program or what can they do in 30 days? <clears throat> Gosh, I uh, will we'll somehow work with you to get them the formula. We'll do something to help, we'll help get it out there. And it's a really easy, loose way to get into it and, um, and practice, you know, I mean, look, it's no different than dancing the salsa or hitting a golf ball or crocheting or whatever else that people do or singing. You practice it enough times, you get good at it. Practice the formula. And the side effect of that is you're so happy and so whole that you really don't care what people think about you or 
or you're so happy and whole you no longer want anything. And that's when true magic happens. So we'll figure out a way to support you guys. Okay. Dr. Joseph Spenza, thank you so much for being on our show. It's been huh. an honor to know you. Huh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to Dr. Joe Dispenza for his time and his wisdom and his insights into changing yourself and by doing so, changing your world. I love the thing about changing your personality and taking the good things about you with you and leaving the things that don't work for you behind. And I, I, I'm just, I'm such a big fan of Dr. Joe that getting to hear him speak to me um, was such a, an honor and such a treat. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, please go to our website at compassionprisonproject.org. And if you haven't seen Step Inside the Circle, please do. And if you like it, please share with your friends. And if you are moved, please donate to us. We are about to launch our pilot program of trauma talks. And we need, we need money to buy workbooks for every man, woman, and child living in prison so that they can work on their trauma and rebuild themselves into a personality of leaders and change makers. It's been an honor to be with you today. And as usual, please like, share, and um, review our podcast. And I'll see you next time.